It's time for JT the Brick. This is about as good as it gets. <laughs> it is. There's some legends here. Now, no doubt right? about it. I can't believe the Raiders had Cliff Branch and Fred Blinnikoff um, on the same team, but uh, <laughs> but they had they had such a dynamic team. JT the Brick. I just loved. I don't know. I just love the Raiders. I I'm, I'm not sure why. Growing up in Kansas, I love John Madden and Mark Van Egan. Mark Van Egan. Mark Van Egan. Yeah. Um, guys like that. I just. I don't know. I just love the Raiders for some reason. Jackpot, baby. And now here's JT the Brick. Welcome back, everybody. JT in Vegas, home of the NFL Draft on Raider Nation Radio. Big show tonight also on Sirius XM. Everybody in the media universe coming out to Vegas for the draft, and Vegas needs to put on a show, a big show. Could be one of the biggest sports shows we've ever seen in Vegas history, and I don't mind setting the bar that high. Join us Thursday, noon to 2, Cafe Americano, right inside, outside on the deck. What a location. Caesars Palace. You can park in Caesars self-parking, get there early, get dropped off, take an Uber, get there early, kick off the draft with me before it gets insane on the strip there. It's going to be a lot of fun. Now we get a chance to go out to Matt Harmon, a great insider and analyst, football writer for Yahoo Sports. And, Matt, I know you've been working really hard on this draft as you've been tweeting out. Is that because you have to because there's not as many quarterbacks as last year and you like the depth of this class? How do you say it? Yeah, I think for me it's always uh, focused on the wide receiver position uh, with the work that I do with Reception Perception, ReceptionPerception.com. Yeah, I think this receiver class, is really interesting. You know, it's not quite as top-heavy as last year. You know, we already had Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, even Devontae Smith, I think, would be the best receiver uh, in this year's class. But I think there's a lot of depth. You know, there's the anticipation that with some of the market moves that were made in free agency, some of the trades, you know, obviously the contracts that are getting handed out at wide receiver, we might see a run on the position at some point in the first round. So I think trying to get some of these prospects right, really trying to understand them this year, it is very important. And, yeah, it's, just, it's an interesting class overall just because, like you mentioned, the quarterback, you know, it's not quite as sexy up at the top as it usually would be. So I think it just kind of changes the tenor of the class and, and the draft as a whole. You know, that's really interesting to me, Matt, because we saw the run and what happened with veteran receivers in the offseason, Devontae Adams to the Raiders, Tyreek Hill to Miami, and now the news of Debo Smith possibly being available, Debo Samuel, excuse me, being available. So do you think with the potential for all of these uh, receivers to move and some of them shocking moves and big moves, that's going to elevate the receivers where teams are going to want to get them earlier or sit back and wait because of the depth of this class? Yeah, that's going to be really the inflection point, that choice right there. And and, and mentioning Debo Samuel is interesting because I know, you know, John Lynch has said, you know, I can't imagine trading a player like Debo Samuel. You know, we have no intention of moving. You know, they want him to be there. Well, I think at different points, obviously the Chiefs and the Packers wanted their guys to be there. Sometimes things happen. You reach that impasse. You get an offer that you can't refuse. I do think the 49ers have less uh, incentive. They're less in a position. You know, they don't have – I mean, Trey Lance might end up being really good, but, you know, at this point he's not Aaron Rodgers. At this point he's not Patrick Mahomes. Like, there's a pretty good incentive to, to hold on to one of your best offensive playmakers as your quarterback develops. So we'll see. But Debo, a Debo trade could, could shake up the first round at the wide receiver position. But I think really teams deciding whether you want to lock in a first-round pick on a cheap contract, get that fifth-year option uh, on a wide receiver, kind of control that contract for as long as possible, I think that's going to be a decision point. But every single year, I think we're going to be in a position looking at it and saying, this is a deep wide receiver class. And it's not just because, hey, all the players are good. It's also that 
these guys are more prepared than ever because of the way seven-on-seven has taken hold Mm -hmm. of youth football, you know, at the lower levels. These guys have been running routes, you know, catching passes for years and years and years. And I think also the sort of the way that the NFL game has kind of met college football sort of in the middle there. Debo is a great example, you know. If Debo Samuel and the player that he is, the skill set that he has, had come into the league like 10, 15 years ago, I don't know that there was any coach out there that would have been able to look at him and say, okay, we're going to put him in this really creative and unique role. But coaches today are a little more malleable and able to be flexible to put these receivers in advantageous positions and more, frankly, just easier positions than what they, they were asking these guys to do like 10, 15 years ago. Absolutely. Matt Harmon's our guest. The receiver market is red hot. The price for free agents is out of control. And to have these young players under contract for years going into their Rookie contract on the back end in their option year is important. Who do you have ranked higher here, Drake London or Garrett Wilson? Uh, I mean, it's close. I think, honestly, the, the my top four guys, which is Drake London, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, and Jameson Williams, those four are all really close. I think they, they inhabit a tier that's the first tier to me. But I do have Drake London at the top of my board just because I think he can do a little bit of everything. You know, Obviously, as a big receiver, he can increase the strike zone for a quarterback. I really like the idea of having him, you know, fall to the Jets at number 10 because Zach Wilson's the guy who loves to put those contested catches up. Um, he can do all kinds of different things throwing the ball that way. But then I also just really like the way that he is a player who can get open against zone coverage. He can work in the short to intermediate ranges, and he's really successful all over the field. So he's, he's the, that's the reason I have him as the number one guy on my board. Matt Harmon is our guest. Matt from Yahoo, I want to ask you with the Jets and the Giants with two high draft picks each, each do you see one team – trading back because we're hearing today in Vegas heading into tonight that there's multiple teams, multiple teams that want to move back in the draft. What are your sources telling you? I, look, a lot of teams want to move down in this draft, and I think the problem with that is it takes two to tango, right? You know, mm-hmm. there's always going to be uh, teams that want to move down. You know, there's going to be teams that want to get that extra value. There's going to be teams that want to, you know, the Carolina Panthers are a great example. They probably want to take a quarterback, right? But do they want to take one of these quarterbacks in six? Maybe not so much. But the problem is the quarterback class as a whole is not that great. So who's coming up for what? Is somebody coming up for one of the top tackles in this class? I think that's possible. I think teams like the Giants and the Panthers absolutely want to move down. My problem is who's going to be the team that wants to come up and what are they coming up for? Is somebody going to come up for one of the receivers? I'm not so sure about that. Maybe, you know, maybe the tackle is in this class. If there's a run you know, after Icky Aquanu and Evan Neal, somebody jumps up and takes Charles Cross in the top ten. But there's a situation where either the Panthers or the Giants, the two teams that want to trade down, look at those top three tackles and say, you know, what, we don't want to move down because we actually might want to grab one of these guys here. So I think there are a lot of teams that definitely want to trade down. The problem is just always trying to find a match for them to trade down, like who they can trade down with. Matt Harmon is our guest from Yahoo, covers the draft, also fantasy. So the three-edge rushers, Trayvon Walker seems to be the hot name from Georgia going one. Detroit, everybody thinks Aiden Hutchinson because he played at Michigan is a perfect fit. He might despise that move and want to get out of the state of Michigan in a bad team. And then we have Kayvon Thibodeau out of Oregon. How do you handicap those three edge rushers? Yeah, to me, the the Aiden Hutchinson to Detroit matchup match is really interesting, right? Because obviously, like, yeah, I think Detroit would love to bring him in there. You know, homegrown guy, of course, you know. He plays in college football in the state of Michigan. I, I think that would be just such a perfect fit if Trayvon Walker does go to number one because 
Trent Baalke is obsessed with the traits, right? The, the length, the, the 40 time, the three cone time, all of those athletic measurements. And again, the arm length really is something that's been important for Trent Baalke over the years. If he makes that move at number one, then I think, yeah, you're looking at, you're looking at Aiden Hutchinson probably being the number two pick. And Kayvon Thibodeau, that's the one that like teams have to, there's been some whispers that, you know, they haven't liked the vibe they've gotten from him or he's, you know, which I think, look, teams are going to have to kind of get used to this stuff. Like, there's apparently folks that are, you know, put off by the fact that he is interested. He's a, like, he's all in on football, but also he's all in on kind of the football player brand, like that whole thing. That's just the way people are going to be going forward. So I think seeing where he falls, like, there's a chance he could end up, you know, sliding to the back half of the top ten instead of the top five picks. Um, I think that there is a, a really good chance. That that's a, like a potential thing that, that happens there. But to me, yeah, the intrigue really starts at this draft at the top, which is interesting because normally we're, you know, we're walking into Thursday afternoon and thinking we've got a pretty good handle on the first two picks. We don't even really have a handle on the number one pick. Like, mm-hmm. There's still you know, potential factions inside the building where um, you know, like, the owner wants to go with Aiden Hutchinson, Shad Khan there with the Jacksonville Jaguars, the coach, Wants to go with Icky Aquanu, get a get an offensive tackle, but Trent Baalke wants to take the traits guy in Trayvon Walker at number one. <laughs> this draft is really unique in that way. Matt Harmon, as we wrap it up, Philadelphia's got multiple picks. I think Philadelphia is a team that could stay there and get the best players available or really do a nice package and get a breakout player that they need and get them one step closer to the postseason, winning in the postseason. Philadelphia is in a really interesting position. Obviously, they had three first-round picks. They traded one away in that interesting trade with the New Orleans Saints to grab an extra one this year. Did did New Orleans and I mean New Orleans is a really fascinating team uh, to talk about in the first round. But yeah, Philadelphia, hey, like uh, they might pick a, a receiver for the third for the first round in the third year in a row because the Jalen Rager experiment has not worked out. Mm-hmm. I think they're looking to kind of move on from that. You know, let's also not forget they took JJ Arcega Whiteside in the second round in 2019, and he's moving a tight end. So that obviously did not work out either. I think they got it right with Devontae Smith in 2021, but this could be yet another receiver pick in the first round. And I think that's very fascinating to watch out for because, you know, obviously they're trying to build an ecosystem, maybe for Jalen Hurst, but maybe for someone else in the long term. So absolutely, Philadelphia is a team to watch. They could really make their roster better this year and next year, too, because they have those extra picks. Matt, last one. What are you looking forward to most with Vegas? The look of Vegas, nighttime. You know, the first round in prime time, the sun will be setting in Vegas by the end of it. They have an opportunity where I'm based here in Vegas to get over 600,000 that they had in Nashville, up to a million people. What do you sense is going to happen with the excitement of Las Vegas? Oh, I think just obviously the look and feel of the town. You mentioned the sunset should be perfect there. Like That's just a beautiful hour to be in Vegas, beautiful hour to be out in the desert there, just overall prime time environment. Yeah, I think it just... The way like we, we've been waiting for this one for a minute, we've been waiting for the draft in Vegas for a minute. I think this is going to be an exciting time. It's not just for the NFL, but for the city as a whole. Uh, I think it should be pretty electric. Like obviously, the NFL star is only rising in Vegas with the team being there now. This can really be a moment where the city solidifies itself as as a real pivot point in the NFL universe. Great work, man. I follow you. You do an unbelievable job. You're you're burying everybody in the amount of time you're putting in here with a lot of tape. Thanks for joining us. I appreciate it. <laughs> Uh, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to the next couple days. You got it. Matt Harmon from Yahoo. He's got one of the better and more looked-at mock drafts out there. Go check him out via Twitter at Matt, H-A-R-M-O-N underscore B-Y-B as we open up this hour. Opens up a phone line for you on what the Raiders will do. 
What will the Raiders do in this draft? Sounds pretty pedestrian and easy. It's not. Everybody I'm talking to has no bleeping idea. They're asking me to go on radio and, and tell stations. I was on in Denver. I was on with my buddy in Seattle two nights ago. What are the Raiders doing? I'm just here to talk about the party. I don't know what the Raiders are doing. I know what the Raiders need. I know the Raiders always need an offensive lineman and a linebacker. I can promise you that. I know exactly what the Raiders need. I just don't know who's going to be there in the third round. I'm not taking the bait on Darren Waller being traded to the Packers. Are you? 702-365-9200. And when you look at the tight ends in this draft, it is not deep. It's deep at wide receiver, not at tight end, not at running back. So if you're looking for an offensive lineman and you're the Raiders, if something crazy happens and the Raiders know they have to get an offensive lineman, can they trade up into the second round and get the player that they're targeting or do they don't want to chance it and get into the first round? To me, the first round is way too rich. Way too rich for the Raiders to have to move up future draft capital. But it's not too rich if the Raiders want to clear out some players who will not be here next year. Their options won't get picked up. They're not going to be Raiders anyway long term. Why not move them and move them into the draft and get something out of it? All right, we'll get to that on the other side. Randy Mueller is going to join us. Uh, the former executive of the year in the year 2000, Anthony Beck at the bottom of the hour. But coming up next, Randy Mueller, we'll talk to him about everything, the buzz that he's hearing, maybe some of the teams that want to trade up, want to trade down, and maybe I'll ask him about a big deal he did because he's done some big deals on his resume. And we'll take your calls on the other side. Quick reminder, Thursday we're at Cafe Americano. Just get to Caesars and then walk to the front of Caesars where the Strip is. It's a gorgeous location. I'm honored to be there on behalf of Raider Nation Radio and Modelo with that fighting spirit. Yeah, it doesn't sound like a trade is really viable at three. I know a lot of the teams right up there where the Texans are would like to trade back. Just doesn't seem like it's going to happen based on this year's uh, various scenarios. So it seems like the Texans are going to pick, and they are the most curious team, let's say, in the top five. And I hear from teams all over the map saying the same thing. Oh, it's the Texans. It's Nick Casario. Who knows what they're going to do? <laughs> but here's a couple things they're looking at. They, the possibility of taking a tackle. Maybe this is Iki Aquanu from NC State, perhaps Evan Neal. That is one that exists. There is a possibility they take a corner. And there's two top corners in this draft and then everyone else. Sauce Gardner, who it seems we've been talking a ton about. And then there's Derek Stingley from LSU. And this is actually one to watch. And it does not seem like, considering his talents, it doesn't seem like three is too early. It would fit perfectly into Lovey Smith's scheme. This is one to watch as well. Texans could do literally anything. I know so many are just watching and trying to figure out what it's going to be, but they've got some really intriguing options here at three. That's Ian Rappaport, NFL Network on the Texans at number three. And what's going to happen with Jacksonville and Detroit and the Texans? I think the Texans have been a mess. It's taken the Texans two years to figure out what to do with Deshaun Watson. And now they unload Deshaun Watson. They get draft equity in return. Cleveland gives them $240 million guaranteed, but it almost feels like to me Houston has taken two years and wasted their fans' energy. For two years, the fans knew that Deshaun Watson had to be moved. They had this black cloud over him. 
And now they have a top three pick, and they got to get out of there. I think they take the best edge rusher available. If Trayvon Walker goes one, Hutchinson two, then they'll have an opportunity for Thibodeau, or maybe, as they said, Stingley is a hell of a player there. There's some good, solid players in the top seven or eight. And then after that, everything I'm looking at mock draft-wise, there's a lot of reaches along the way. And even if you're at 12 to 20, it's very aggressive to either move back or other teams trading in to get the quarterbacks. Remember, Malik Willis, the quarterback out of Liberty, and also Kenny Pickett, the quarterback out of Pittsburgh, they, they have grades in the mid to late first round. But teams often panic on a quarterback, and they want to trade up to go get him. Randy Mueller, frequent guest on the show, former 2000 NFL Executive of the Year, and he's been with several teams throughout his career, he's done a hell of a job from the Saints to the Dolphins, the Chargers, and the Seahawks. He's kind enough to join us on Raider Nation Radio today. Randy, thanks so much. As you know, I'm in Vegas. Did you ever imagine sitting in your office in the early 2000s that Vegas would have a draft in an NFL team? How about that? That's crazy. I guess what uh, what goes around comes around. We used to love to go to Vegas, but I never thought I'd be for a draft (laughs) or, or to watch an NFL game. That's for sure. I love it, though. Absolutely. Let me ask you and begin by what happens this time with a few days out from the draft. A lot of people were talking yesterday and early today about the issue of everybody wanting to trade back more so than to trade up. What is that gamemanship like when the top teams, and especially two teams, the Giants and Jets that have multiple early picks, of course would trade back if they get an offer they can't refuse? Well, that's usually the case in most drafts, JT. As you know, everybody, every fan always wants to trade back and collect picks, right? But there's two two problems with that that usually crop up. One is it's hard to find a partner because it's hard to get someone to trade up, and those picks are valued by supply and demand. I don't care as much about the value chart per se. And the other thing is don't trade back too far. You're going to be trading out of the players. So that's what you got to be careful with as well. That I think when people view the draft from the outside, more talk is made, more emphasis is put on a team's needs, team's needs, team's needs. That used to drive me crazy because, really, it's about getting good players. And if you select needs in in the reasoning behind why you select them, you're bypassing players on your board that you feel really good about, and they are probably at a a different level of value. So you're taking less value to fill out your depth chart. That just never made sense to me. Randy Mueller joins us. What fascinates me about this draft with a quarterback not going in the top pick or top five pick it seems like the edge rushers are all the talk with Trayvon Walker out of Georgia, Kayvon Thibodeau out of Oregon, and Aiden Hutchinson out of Michigan. And there's so many people that do what you do now as an analyst or when you were executive of the year. I mean, you, you work hard to look at film and tape. What's it like when you have a scouting department that has a different opinion on a player that can go one or two? I mean, I could see the difference between a player who can go one or 18 or one or 25. But these guys at the top of the board, I'm looking at mock drafts, Randy, and most of the mock drafts are all over the place on who the best edge rusher is. Well, I think it's hard to get a consensus in this group this year, that's for sure, on the outside. Mm-hmm. The difference, again, on the inside is the criteria for each team is different. So I guarantee you they've come with a consensus, most of these teams. There's different ways that they value these players, and it really depends on how they fit for us, how they fit for our team. You bring up a great point. The edge rushers are a good example of that. To me, an edge rusher is a third-down rush specialist. If you're going to pick a guy up here high like we're talking about, JT, he's got to do more than that. 
And that's what I see in a guy like Trevon Walker. That's why I think he's kind of his name is drifted toward the top. He is really a, an edge rusher only by name. He's a defensive end. He's a 270-pound guy that sets the edge, that plays the run, that's powerful enough to play like 290, but yet nimble enough you swear he's 230. So he can play anywhere in any scheme, and I think that's why he's jumped up there. Same with Thibodeau. Thibodeau has jumped back to the front of the group now, I think because people have gone back and looked at film and said, we can't pass on this skill set. This guy can rush, but over and above that, he's an outside linebacker. He can play Mm -hmm. in every scheme on all downs. So those guys, to me, sift to the top, and that's where I think the consensus ends up getting built. When When you discuss this at nauseum day after day, I mean, I've been involved in these, Eventually, you come down to the players who bring you the most to the table and most value. And in my case, for me, those two guys, because of all the other things they do, they end up sifting to the top. Randy Mueller is our guest, former executive of the year in 2000, former GM and executive at multiple teams in the NFL. Great podcast, fantastic. We always have him on the show. Randy, I want to ask you how you think you would handle Debo Samuel. First, from a Niner perspective, to calm him down and say, look, we understand you're not happy. Do we even know why he's not happy? Because they lined him up as a runner? I mean, it's a good team. It's a major market, great weather, the Bay Area. What are you sensing from talking to your peers around the league on why he doesn't want to be a fit for the 49ers going forward? Well, I don't have an inside take, but what I always do, JT, is I go back and look at film. And I've looked at several games from them last year, and here's what I think. And this is not from an inside source. This is just my opinion. They use him on as a decoy. They use him as a blocker. They use him to mm. scheme certain formations and certain plays. But he's not truly a wide receiver, and they don't function like that with him. Same in the running game. They hand him the ball on certain plays where he can break tackles and do things like a running back. But he, he's got to be a little careful in what he demands because he would be leaving a coach that I think is perfect for him, who's willing to step outside of his own system. And you know how sacred the system is for a lot of coaches. Kyle Shanahan doesn't care. He will scheme these things for Debo, and I think he's got to be careful if that's not what he wants. But I understand where he's coming from in that he wants to be a premier featured receiver. I just don't Mm -hmm. know, J.T., at the end of the day, his skill set is that. So there's, there's pros and cons to both sides of it for me. Randy, that is a great point that you said. Oh, if you just put him on the outside, period, on the outside, if he's a skilled receiver, we know he can get separation and make plays. He's not Devontae Adams, probably not a Stephon Diggs, but those guys can't line up and block and play running back and all of that. And Kyle Shanahan proved it works with him. So is yep. it? The, I would think that part of this has got to be that Debo and his agent thinks he's going to just take too big of a beating under Kyle Shanahan. And if that's the case, it's John Lynch's job and Jed York to sit down in a room with him and go, look, we'll do whatever you want to do if it fits our needs here and try to talk it out. It looks like they're past that point. Yeah, I just don't know how far they've negotiated this deal, JT. I don't. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes sometimes the cat gets out of the bag before that discussion happens that you just mentioned. I agree. They need to sit down. They need to kind of iron it out as to what's going to work and what's not. I'm sure Debo sees what these other receivers have gotten, and he said, why can't that be me? That's just probably not where the 49ers are willing to go with this. Again, they have receivers they like. They have running backs that they like. His value is in doing all these things. And I think everybody's got to be, you know, pumping the brakes a little bit before we cut the cord on Debo Samuel. Uh, Randy Mueller, as we wrap it up, when it comes to Evan Neal out of Alabama, 
Iguanu out of uh, NC State, the bigger tackles, Charles Cross out of uh, Mississippi State. When I look at the size of these guys, they are can't miss because they're mountain men. They're massive, and they have a great track record in college. I, if I can get a guy like that in the top five or top ten, I want him to anchor my offensive line and have a chance to be a Hall of Famer and a legend. But after that, I mean, can you get an offensive tackle? Can you get a guard later in the draft? Sure you can, but to me it's a crapshoot. I think there's going to be a run on these tackles early in the top 17 or 18 picks. I think four or five could be gone. Well, I agree with that. I think we see when, when one of these nears free agency, the amount of money they demand they sure. usually get. There's, there's not enough supply and demand to go around, so I agree with you. I think the Aquanu kid from the NC State is the best athlete of the bunch. I think Neil is the most powerful and maybe a guy that could play either tackle. And Cross, like you said, might be as gifted a competitor and just doing all the things as there is. So I don't think a team can go wrong. Sometimes it's not the sexy pick, but I don't think you can go wrong building your team with tackles especially. And there's a couple guys that play guard and center this year that are above and beyond the average draft guy as well. So it's a good time to build with big boys on both the offensive front and the defensive front. And, Randy, finally, when there are multiple picks by teams and they have the ability to trade up or some of them want to trade back, uh, do you miss that? What, what was it like? Give it, leave us with a memory in a war room that you were prepared, your board was set, you were just pumped up, you and your team knew exactly what you're doing, and then all of a sudden, chaos. Phones ringing, someone wants your pick, or you see a player available. I think our listeners would love a story like that. Well, that happened to us once in Seattle, JT. We had two picks. We had nine and ten, and we actually turned nine into three a month before the draft in a trade with Atlanta. So we had the third pick, and then we were left with the ninth pick. And when I left the room the night before the draft, I thought we had a deal to go from nine to six. We thought it was a six-player draft that year. So we were willing to give up the rest of our draft to get two picks in that top six, of which we had three. When I left that night, we had a deal to move up with the Jets, who were being run by Bill Parcells at the time. When I came back in the next morning, that deal had disappeared, and Bill said, we can't do this. We're going to fall back and trade with another team. We don't want to fall back to your spot. But he said, I don't know who that team is wants, so you might want to call them. We ended up making the same deal to get to six, and we gave up less the next morning than I had agreed to the night before. So sometimes it works out that wow. way that you just – the best deals are the ones you don't make. But the player was Walter Jones. So we ended up with Sean Springs and Walter Jones with our two first round oh. picks that year. And, and we oh. kind of shut the lights off when we walked out. Oh, that is a drop-to-mic moment right there. And it's the tuna. <laughs> You're talking to Bill Parcells, a Hall of Famer there. Yeah. On the other end, who you have tremendous success. Well, that's how you know sometimes deals work out or not. That's a great story. Yep, I agree with you. That We, we lucked out on that one. I'll, I'll, I'll take that one to my yeah. grave. That's a good one to have. That's a great one to have a glass of wine and a, a bottle of wine and tell everybody about that one. Good to talk to you, Randy. Hope to talk to you soon. We'll recap the draft in a week or so. Sounds good, JT. Take care. I always appreciate you. He's a great guest, Randy Mueller. What a story. Undrafting Walter Jones and the conversations with Bill Parcells. 702-365-9200. Get in line now. I can get you up here before the top of the hour. Anthony Beck, kind enough to join us. Another great guest today joins us live, the former tight end. Uh, first round pick, number 27 overall in 2000 from the Jets. And I played golf with a former colleague of mine, Chris Cargano, earlier today, who loves him with the job he does on the Jets pre and post game. Anthony, good to connect with you again as I'm in Vegas. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? 
I couldn't be better. And thanks for doing this. I wanted to speak to you not only because you're a great analyst in the sport, and you know this draft coming up, but the Jets are in a really big spot here with two high draft picks at number five and number 10 here and an opportunity to really make some noise. What do you think the goal is and what are they thinking coming into these two picks? Yeah, no, really exciting time right now for the Jets organization. Not only do they have those two first-round picks, but they have several more, two in the second, and then, of course, the third. Most All their picks will be within the first five rounds of the draft. And, you know, I think the expectation level here is, you know, with those two picks in the first round, the two early picks in the second, they should be able to get four, you know, starting caliber players to get on the field right now and, whether that's to improve the defense or improve the quarterback play, whatever that is, you have a lot of options to really upgrade this football team. Yeah, that's a really good point. you got to hit on this. The Jets got to come out of this with starters any way they can and uh, be able to jump in there and have the ability to know that these new starters are going to come in and have a really quick impact. That's usually harder and easier, easier said than done. I wanted to ask you about the quarterback and what you saw with his growth. Zach Wilson from the first half of the year to the second half of the year when he got more comfortable. Yeah, you know, it's it's always a tough process, uh, you know, for quarterbacks, in particular, you know, being in New York. It's not just an on-the-field thing. It's an off-the-field as well with the fan base, the media, everything that encompasses being uh, a quarterback in New York. I mean, it, it's a tough situation. So as far as on the field, I, you know, look, there, there's signs of this kid that he can be special. Uh, clearly the game and the way it's played and how it was done at BYU is much different in the league. You saw some of the movement, the off uh, off-balance platform throws during the season. You saw what he could be with some of his downfield throws and some of his weapons. You know, there were some injuries wrapped around the season. Linemen were down. Receivers were in and out. I think when you start, you know, getting guys back, you get that that original kind of set roster that was kind of supposed to be around with him. It's only going to lead him to be better. But he has to make big strides this season. It's not a, you know, well, we'll wait till year three. There's a lot of success right now for quarterbacks in the NFL in their first years or second years. So the Jets are really looking for him to take off. And, and really, that's up to, uh, to Zach to really put that on the field. And I know he's working hard and he's working with the receivers and he's throwing and doing different things with his guys, but also from a mental aspect, the film, breaking it down, being critical of how you played, how you can improve, and mentally getting stronger so that he can take huge strides for the season this year. Anthony Becht is our guest, former NFL tight end, and we'll get to what he's doing now with the XFL in a moment. You know, over the last couple of years, Mekhi Becton, Elijah Vera Tucker, it's not like the Jets haven't gone out and spent a lot of draft equity on the offensive line. I mean, do they need to do it again with a top 10 pick here? Because the tackles and the guys up front, there's going to be great players here if the Jets want to add to that offensive line, something they've done the past years. Yeah, I mean, listen, uh, you know, they they have a really good line, I think. With adding Lincoln Tomlinson uh, as a free agent from the 49ers, that was a premium guy uh, get in the free agency uh, at the guard position. Uh, McGovern back at center. Uh, George Fant played well. Mekhi Beckton, you talk about these guys, and, of course, ABT coming back again for his second season. You know, this line should be a top 10-11 line in the NFL just with the pieces they have. I don't believe they have to go – uh, with one of those first two picks as offensive line. If they want to go to the top of the second and grab a guy, I would only see if a guy fell to 10, not the first spot at four, but 10, and a big-name guy for some reason, well, he was supposed to go three and they had him that high on his board, 
he falls to 10. I could see him taking that, but quite frankly, it's going to be, for me, it's going to be corner, deep, uh, pass, pass rusher, or premier receiver, depending who's in, uh, in play there at that 10th that spot. Anthony Beck joins us. We're talking about the Jets. They have two top 10 picks, and you know, looking into some research with Joe Douglas and what he's been able to do and maximize the draft. With 19 picks over two draft cycles, 18 of those players are still on the roster. And Anthony's got a lot of picks here, too. So I, I just thought that maybe a Debo Samuel, if we can touch on him with all of the draft picks he's already used, who he's retained, and all of these extra draft picks, does he seem like the guy that would package a deal? Because I know he wants value. He wouldn't overpay for a Debo Samuel. Yeah, I mean, listen, uh, Debo's a guy that's the kind of the X factor on offense. You can do a lot of things. I think the one thing we saw from Mike LaFleur throughout the season is creativity and offense and how they really kind of took a, a big step after maybe the first four games of the season really started to come into his own. So adding a guy like Debo Samuel, I mean, you're talking about instantaneous weapon to take the pressure off the quarterback. You can get him the ball behind the line of scrimmage, at the line of scrimmage, in the a quick catch area, and then he can take the top off with his speed. So, you know, listen, I don't know what's going on in San Francisco. I don't know why he wouldn't want to be there and why they wouldn't want to sign him back. But if you're talking about potentially giving up a first-round pick for Debo Samuel, I don't know if there's any more any better player more explosive than him that's available offensively in this draft, and he's still a very young player who's still peaking in his prime. So if you were to say put that 10th pick, in play for him uh, and then other ones wrapped in later and getting maybe some from the 49ers on a later end. There's no question. You got to really seriously think about that, especially the fact like you mentioned, going to get, try to get Tyreek Hill, not being able to kind of get him to choose the football team in that trade opportunity. He's a very similar style player that again, get the guy, get him the ball in his hands and he can make plays for it. Anthony Beck, as we wrap it up, you know, it's interesting. He played for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for three years and Tom Brady retired and came out of retirement, and they're just loaded. They have everybody on both sides of the ball. As you know, he just restructured his contract again, always getting fresh new money, but setting up his team to get more players. I mean, you know the guy, you know the team, you know the league. It's just incredible that they continue to reload around Brady because he's so cap-friendly. It's incredible. What do you expect out of Tampa Bay as this window still open for them to win another Super Bowl? No question. They're right there. I mean, listen, they're going to load up. They'll get a you know a late first-round draft pick, add on to their team. Most of their star stud players are back. Uh, they're, they'll work out some things here, maybe with JPP and Sue, and see how they'll kind of renegotiate those guys if they want them back. But, you know, offensively, the, the key is Brady. Brady's going to lead the ship, and he'll get them right where they need to be. Chris Godwin coming back off injury, obviously that was huge on them not making a run. But without him and also the meltdown, from A.B., they still had a chance to beat the Rams in the NFC. So uh, I expect them to be right there, uh, you know, Brady, as long as he stays healthy. And, again, that's always a question mark because, you know, it's, it's, it's not just taking a hit or getting injured that way. It's just some of the non-contact stuff when your body's older. He stayed in great shape. At some point, it's probably going to happen. But if he continues to stay healthy, you know, uh, really tried and true in his off-season work program and what he does to keep his body and get it ready and stay fresh. Uh, he's going to have them right back where they need to be. 
last one I saw you involved as a coach with the XFL. I go back with league president Russ Brandon to college. We go back that long, okay. and we're both in our <laughs> mid-50s here, so we've been doing this a long time. How excited are you? I'm the original voice of the XFL Las Vegas Outlaws here. You're coming in as a coach. Tell me about that journey, how that came about. Yeah, this is really great. You know, when uh, when Dwayne and, and Danny Garcia and Redbird Capital bought and took over the XFL uh, almost two years ago through bankruptcy, it just kind of perked my interest. You know, I coached in the AAF under Mike Martz as a tight end coach, and he really took me under his wing and, and really kind of, you know, assured me that, you know, coaching was where I should be. And, and I've always been a teacher. I've been working with guys over the years. I've coached in college all-star games, but I think it was the collection of things that I brought to the table, whether it was my playing experience, coaching experience, my experience with guys transitioning out of the NFL, working with them for the last eight years, helping guys get into retirement. That's kind of a piece, a leadership piece they were looking for as the head coach or one of the head coaches. And uh, listen, I grinded. I got in front of the right people. I had great conversations uh, with Russ, and he's, a, he's an excellent man, and uh, we've had some good talks over that time. And and Mark Ross and Doug Whaley just selling a vision, and I was given the opportunity to sell that and get in front of ownership and just let them know kind of what I was about. I think a lot of people see me in the media, and I've done all those things, covered teams, college, NFL. Uh, but, you know, I think there's more to offer from me, and mm-hmm. I think the culmination of all of those kind of experiences really kind of hit the nail on the head for one of their head coaches, and I'm just very fortunate and honored to get that opportunity. I know there's a lot of great candidates out there, but I promise you – by the time we get this thing started, I'm going to have the best staff possible, and we're going to be ready to rock and roll once they start labeling uh, some of these football hey, teams. Hey, I'm XFL over you, USFL. I want to see jobs for everybody. I, I, I'm all for the economy and jobs in football, but my football. loyalty is to the XFL. So, hey, Anthony, thanks for doing this. Your name came up this morning, and I'm happy we're able to get you on and really appreciate the work you're doing. Have fun with the draft. I appreciate it. Thanks, JT. Be well. You got it, Anthony Beck. Uh, really good analyst, solid guy, had a nice career playing for the Jets, Bucks, Rams, Cardinals, and Chiefs. Now he's going to be one of the new coaches in the XFL. Remember, the XFL doesn't start till next year, 2023, kind of like F1 in Vegas. We don't have F1 until next year, November 2023, but I'm happy for them. I'm, I'm pulling for the XFL in a big way. I am, because I'd like to see it do well. I, I really do. I was a part of it when it launched. It could have stayed in business another year or two. Vince McMahon ended up pulling the trigger because he was such a brilliant businessman. He didn't want to feed it. That's what I heard. The XFL had a two-year deal. They shut it down after year one. So they could have easily went year two, and he would have lost money. And he was a money guy with WWE and wrestling, and he shut it down. And I had one of the great years of my life there, working with a great one in Napoleon McCallum. We traveled the country, called games at, the L.A. Coliseum, Soldier Field in Chicago, the Liberty Bowl, San Francisco where the Giants play. At the time, it was packed Bell Park. I had a great memory there. So I'm going to get behind the XFL, and I hope they do really well. All right, that opens up a line for you before I get out of here. We are all over the place today. I didn't uh, spend much time talking about the Golden Knights, and the Golden Knights are in a really tough position tonight. Really tough position. Bobby, I want to get to Nash if he's still on hold there, I'd like to get him up here if we can in this segment, then we'll reset the phones. Nash, thanks for holding. You're up. Thanks for waiting through the interviews. What's happening? Hey, great interviews, uh, JT. Uh, yeah, just uh, really excited about what's going to be happening here in the next couple of days with the draft. And certainly I don't think uh, Waller is going to be traded. It's funny, I look back when uh, 
you know, uh, back in the uh, mid, uh, you know, 2014 and 15, you look at, you know, Gronkowski catching, you know, 80, 90 balls, slot receivers catching, you know, 90 balls, outside receivers. So there's plenty of balls to go around for those guys. And, again, they're going to be better uh, with them. And uh, what I'd certainly like to see uh, draft is kind of a relaxed Thursday, but uh, mm-hmm. a little bit of entertainment on Friday with uh, with the, the Raiders trapping, you know, coming in. And, and moving up into into round two mm-hmm. and, 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 and identifying that. I think it's going to be exciting to watch because I think when you got a, a GM like Ziegler who's not a coach, chances are you're not going to fall in love with a guy the way I think John Gruden did sometimes. And so you're going to have a little bit more patience like you saw them have last year in New England with waiting on Jones, the quarterback, and even mm-hmm. just free agency that we were in the second day, not the first day. And so – Hopefully, I'd love to see yeah. an offensive lineman. But again, I think, like everybody talked about when you're guests there, you know, drafting best players, not players of need. So, looking yeah. forward to it. Thank you. Good phone call. Appreciate that. And thanks for waiting. I have no problem with the Raiders jumping into round two if they want to do that. And there's two ways to look at that, this, that are very easy to me. Either you're a Raider fan, we're not promised tomorrow, right? We're not promised our, our day tomorrow. We hope we wake up. God's green glory on the earth here. We wake up and we're ready to go. So if, if the Raiders have to wait and hold back for a draft pick, we're talking about looking into their draft in 2023. I don't want to look that far off. So if the Raiders want to do something to get better now, I've always said, let's do it now. But a lot of teams don't do it that way. They want to hold on to their draft picks and do it the right way, the Patriot way. Traditionally, that's how Belichick and the Patriots build, built these dynasties. They had a couple of dynasties to go do it right. They never panicked. They never traded up. They never got rid of a whole draft to get a quarterback. They didn't do anything crazy. They were also very fortunate that Tom Brady was there in the sixth round. I give no credit, no credit to anybody for that. That's just luck. They, they, Brady could have been picked in the sixth round, a pick before them. And if the Patriots loved Brady so much, they would have took him in the fifth round. Remember, if they thought that Tom Brady was going to be even good, they thought he was a fourth-round quarterback, fourth round. He, he might not have made the team in camp. They would have said, oh, my God, Brady's still on the board in the third round. Let's go get him. Hey, can you believe this? Brady's still available. But it's the fifth round. We want him in the sixth round. We got to go get him now. They did none of that. They waited for Brady, and they were fortunate and lucky to get him and a little bit of skill because they took him and identified him as the rest of the league didn't. But the Patriots never panicked. And you're getting two guys who grew up in that system, Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler. They're not going to freak out on draft day. They're going to get the player that they want. And if they deem that they have to get a certain player and they want to do something dramatic, let them do it. I thought it was pretty dramatic getting Chandler Jones and then Devontae Adams. But we thought Devontae Adams could be available, and we put our name on that, 22 days before it went down. And the Raiders put that on behind the shield, if you want to go see that on the YouTube channel, from our show as they quoted us. We, we, we knew that that deal was the only deal that Devontae was going to take. Unless he stayed in Green Bay, which on paper looked like the smart move. Aaron Rodgers, back-to-back MVP, a team in a very easy division that definitely is guaranteed to go back to the playoffs with them. Devontae said, no, I want out, I think because Rodgers is ego, and he wanted to play with his best friend, Derek Carr. Thursday, noon to 2, Cafe Americano at Caesars. We get to kick off the draft on the Strip.
Sharks dump it in with two and a quarter to go in the third. Reimer goes to the bench. Stone tried to tip it out, couldn't get it to the point, and a shot from the point goes into the goal. It's Timo Meyer, and the Sharks are back within one. So the Golden Knights play tonight. Dallas, this is a game we've been waiting for for what, two weeks? For two weeks, everybody looked at this game and said if Vegas does the right thing and puts themselves in a position, this game would be to tie Dallas. Now they can't do that because they only got one point instead of two in the last two games. So what has to happen here, that one point against San Jose was a disaster. A disaster, and they don't deserve to have the ability for the fans to think they're going to get in after what happened up 4-2 and to give up a goal at the buzzer. So tonight is a must-win game. And hockey, what's interesting, in baseball, if you have your best pitcher going, say you're the Dodgers, and you're playing a series best of five, it's game five, you're back at Dodgers Stadium, you got Walker Bueller on the mound of Kershaw, Mookie Betts, you're going to win. You feel like you're going to win. It's not the case in hockey. And hockey, you run into a hot goalie, and Vegas doesn't have a great goalie. We've got a goalie with no experience who's playing with a lot of heart, but we'd love to have Marc-Andre Fleury, wouldn't we? So this is a game that's going to be a test for two reasons. One, if they win, there's a chance they can get some help and slide in. Number two, if they lose and they lose badly, several people are going to lose their jobs. You know what I just said it. Now, if they lose 3-2 in overtime and they play their ass off, okay, I'm good. They played hard. They played to the wire. They lost, but they were in the game. They got to show up. You know, everybody's giving Brooklyn some credit for being in the games against Boston. Give me a break. They got swept. They don't get any credit for that. Bobby, behind the microphone, you ran the show. You run the broadcast for the Golden Knights. I'm still shocked they're in this position tonight where they have to win with this team, this loaded team we thought was loaded, but they've been injured all year. That makes two of us. I, ne- I never thought I was going to play out this way. I mean, when they traded off Flurry, I said, okay, fine, I'll get through this. But, I mean, this team, they've gone out and spent all this money on all these high-priced veteran free agents, and they got no support staff behind them. They have, they have injuries. They've had chemistry issues. They don't get hot at the right time. They've got goaltender issues with Robin Leonard, who will never play again. I don't believe in Vegas. They cannot bring Robin Leonard back with all these distractions. Even though he's getting shoulder surgery, whatever, they got to move on from that. And hopefully some people can retain their job and management here if this team has a chance to make the postseason. You know, the I want to po- thank – go ahead. Um, the funny thing is you just mentioned like having team chemistry. That's the second time today I've heard that phrase. The first one was Kyrie Irving. Well, the, the Golden Knights shouldn't need team chemistry. you got Mark Stone, Pacioretty, Eichel. You got players on this team, Alec Martinez, Shea Theodore. They're all about chemistry. These are good guys. Carlson, you know, uh, Marceau, the veterans here in Vegas. There shouldn't be any problem with chemistry, but the team is streaky and they've been injured. They do have very similar to the Nets. The Nets had a lot of injuries with Durant and Harden, and Harden got traded. Very similar. Hey, I want to thank Tommy White, local laborers 872, a proud partner for our draft coverage. We'll have Tommy on Thursday. Tommy and his union helped build this city and this unbelievable stadium and everything they do out here. I'm proud to be associated with local laborers 872 and Tommy White. He means everything, especially his partnership to the show. Thursday, Cafe Americano. Got a good buzz for this. There'll be Modelo's because Modelo is sponsoring it. You know, I got to work a lot of hours that day, so I'll mix in a water or two. But come on out and see us. To kick off the NFL draft, it's going to be unbelievable. Great spot, Cafe Americano, right in front of Caesars, right on the strip on Thursday. 
Big show lined up tomorrow. Go Knights, go.